The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Would turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And please read along with me. And having this confidence, verse 25, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the, half, in, the, in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi and uh, addressing them. And, and I always, always love to see what Paul is saying immediately after his introduction, after the Paul, by the grace of, you know, an apostle, by the grace of God, uh, to the church of the Philippi, to the church of the Galatia. Um, and, and, and what has he got to say next? What has he got to say next? The first thing generally is kind of the pressing thing that is on his mind. Well, here he's got a very specific thing that he asks, and, and, it, and it starts with, with only, only. There's, there's one thing, there's one thing. There's, there's this thing in particular that, that Paul desired. And I guess, I, I, you know, if I, you were going to title this, is what does the preacher want? What is, it that, what is it that your pastor wants? What is it that the preacher wants? What is it that the evangelist wants? What is it that the man of God that is, that is attempting, you know, and what is their best ability to preach the word of God? What is the expected outcome? What is it that Brother David wants from Macedonia Church? And, and here's a pretty good idea. If, if we're going to decide what we want as pastors and preachers and evangelists, uh, and I guess by nature, I'm an evangelist here today. What is it that, that, that is the effect that is the desired outcome? You all have desire. You generally don't do anything without some purpose or some telos, some end, some thing that you desire to be the thing that is coming out of that. Well, for, for a lot of ministries, it's, it's, it's more numbers. You know, the, a, the old ABCs of, of, of church success, attendance, buildings, and cash. <laughs> that that's unfortunately right, right and listen i hope this church is full next week I, I pray that attendance continues to grow i pray that the lord delivers people to this congregation and to other congregations to hear the gospel of our lord and savior jesus christ i hope that so many come that you have to build a bigger building in order to house them all i hope that the lord blesses the church with enough resources to be able to see about the needs of its congregation, of its widows, of its pastor, of its local community, of those that have needs. Those are all things that in and of themselves are not, are not bad things for the church. The ABCs 
of church. Unfortunately, some put those more important than what Paul is going to say here and what he says here to the church at Philippi. Listen to what he says. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your fears that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, the only thing that I desire to see, if I, if I could pick one, and, and, and Paul desired to see a lot in a very zealous way. Turn with me to Romans, Romans chapter 9, if you will. Romans chapter 9, I want you to hear of the extent to which Paul desires for them to hear the gospel and to receive that salvation in their life. He says, Romans chapter 9, verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing with me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul had such a desire for Israel, for his people, the people of his flesh, the people of his culture, the people of his legal system, the people that were his people, he desired that they would come to Christ, that they would hear the gospel and come to Christ so much that he would be willing to lose Christ himself for their behalf. And that's what a preacher ought to be. We ought to, be, we ought to die all the day long, be killed all the day long for the sake of those that are God's people hearing and believing and following Jesus Christ while here in this world. That was important enough to him that he would be accursed from Christ. Could you imagine? Could you imagine Paul sitting there thinking, what is the most precious possession to me? It's my knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nothing else had brought Paul to such a point of joy, yet such a point of trouble in his life than his knowledge of Jesus Christ, that interaction he had with him on the road to Damascus where his first words to him were, my Lord. He knew immediately who he was. And he says, that moment and everything since, I would be accursed from if only Israel would hear and believe and follow Jesus Christ. He had a great zeal for him. And he, and he desired, he, he looked up to the zeal of Israel for their commitment to the law, but he desired for their zeal to be after the Lord Jesus Christ rather than after the things of the law. And so he comes to the church at Philippi, and he writes this, and, and he's got his introduction in, and he speaks of Jesus Christ, verse 19, For I know that this shall turn my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, that, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by my life or by my death. Paul realized that his knowledge of who Jesus was, his knowledge of what he had done, and his knowledge of what, how that affected his life must have some effect. If that is the cause, there must be some effect in the life. And he says to the church, church, you know what I want? I'm going to stand here and I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to teach you all of the things by way of the Spirit that has been taught unto me. And if there's anything that comes out of it, this is what I want. This is what I desire only. Only. That, that there's, there's one effect to this. There's one effect to the gospel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, and that is that your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Your conversation. That, that word comes, that word carries with it the idea of 
how you exist in a large group of people, your walk, your conversation. What is it that you do amongst men that is your conversation? What do I say? What do I do? How do I present myself? I come to Mississippi, I go back to Alabama, areas where I'm from. I'm from the country, but I'm in suburban, and I sound different now than I used to sound. Y'all know that? I sound different now than I, I go back to Alabama, and I go, wow, these people sound really, really country. We don't sound like that in the suburbs of Atlanta, and then I guess that's okay. But the way that I speak, the way that you speak, when Brother Martin comes over and the day when we hear Africans speak, we know where they're from. I, I can detect it immediately. By how you talk, you know where they're from. By how you speak, we say in the South, we say words like fixing to. I'm fixing to go to the store. And people go, what? You're, what? What in the world? Y'all say fixing to over here in Mississippi? Well, we say that in Alabama too. And some of us say that in Georgia. I'm, I'm fixing to. And you get an idea. They're from an area where that is just common vernacular. That's just the things that they say. That's the way that they say it. And he says, only let your conversation, the way that you live your life, the way that you do the things. We do things different in the South too, don't we? We get up and go to church on a Sunday morning. We do things different in the South. We, we have a manner of, way, of, of the way that we live our lives, and it is representative of the background that we have. It is representative of something else in our lives that has had a major impact on us. And Paul says, this gospel that you have been preached ought to have an impact in your life that what you say and what you do becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that that gospel, that that good news of the salvation by the sovereign grace of God is, so, is such an integral part of who it is that you are and what it is that you do that every aspect of your life, your conversation amongst the people in the church amongst the people that you work with, amongst the people that you go to school with, your family, your friends, and people that do know you, people that don't know you, that your conversation becometh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it ought to have impact. Remember yesterday, yesterday, afternoon, yesterday morning and, and afternoon, we spoke about the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, that Jesus Christ says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes forth, and there is a significant impact to those that were privy to the goings-on of that day. That those, there were those that saw uh, Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He comes out, and there were those that believed on him as a result of what they saw. And what they saw was the dead called to life, and because of that, they believed on him. Yet there was another group that sees this happen and they go back to the Pharisees and the Pharisees have a problem because Jesus is not going to positively impact their life. He's going to negatively impact their life because their life is a position of power. Their conversation is a position of religious elitism that look at what we do. We do it all so well, don't we? We do it perfectly. God told us to do these things and we're doing them to the best of the ability of our ability much better than you all. And, this was, and that brought them a lot of power. It brought them a lot of control. It brought them a lot of notoriety. And Jesus was going to interrupt that system as he so often does. Remember Paul, there was a, it was a group of, of Christians uh, that, uh, that I believe were in Thessalonica. And one of them was named Jason. And, and the accusation of Jason and those Christians is that they had turned the world upside down. It turned the world upside down. 
that the world was not like after the introduction of the gospel, after the, the decision by these, by these children of God to follow Jesus Christ and to apply that gospel to how they lived, that the world was not going to be the same again. To the world, Christians had turned it upside down. But the reality is the world had already been turned upside down by sin, by sickness, by death. It had already been turned. God accuses sinful man of turning the world upside down. The way that I had set it up, the way that God had set it up, had been turned upside down by sin. And the reality is that the gospel and the grace of God turns it right by, right side up again. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> It's back to the way it ought to be. Yet here they were, these Christians, these new Christians. And y'all, we're so blessed. Amen. I think, did we sing this morning, the Lord has been so good to me? Man, we've experienced so much goodness, so much joy, so many blessings in this life that we could sing that song all day long. The Lord has been so good to me. We've had those that have had, had sickness and those that we spoke of this morning during prayer requests that have been sick and we've lost loved ones and yet here we can still stand and say, the Lord has been so good to me. We sing songs like, it is well with my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well with my soul. We have somewhere that we can lift our eyes and our minds and our hearts to and say that place is good despite all the badness of this life. And that's what we have to look forward to. Some folks don't have that hope. Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that you, that you suffer not even as those that have no hope. They don't have this knowledge of what this good news is. And my friends, the only way that they may have that knowledge is by the way that you live your life. Does what you do, does your conversation, does the way that you live your life, is, does it become the gospel of Christ? Now the idea of becometh that your, that your conversation becometh the gospel of Christ, the idea of that carries with it the idea of worthiness. And I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself this question. What does a preacher want? The preacher wants you to ask yourself this question. Is the way, is my conversation, is the way that I live my life, the things that I say, a student asked me in class the other day, does it really matter, you know, if we say this word, which society considers to be bad, or this word that we've kind of cut off and rearranged the words in it that is not quite as unacceptable in society. Is, does that really matter? And I say, listen, what comes out of your mar mouth is a direct reflection of what comes out of your heart. And so the things that we talk about do matter. Now, do the syllables and the sounds matter? I don't know that question. My, my thought is, though, whatever is coming out of the heart and out of the mouth, that is a direct reflection of who you are and where you're from. So if we're going to have this conversation, is it worthy of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And if he gave his life for you, what of the world or that looks like the world have you given up for him? Because he's already done his part. Now what he expects us to do is our part. The commands of if you, then I, that come from God are, 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 are a multitude in the, in the word of God. There is a response of God based on, on our lives and how we follow the Lord Jesus Christ or don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ that the Bible seems to be very clear about it. It's just not eternal. 
You see, eternal decisions have eternal consequences. Temporal decisions have temporal consequences. What you do in this life with the life that God has given you matters. It matters to God and it matters to others to the extent that we ought to live our lives worthy of what Christ did for us. Paul would say in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you, that you give your, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. And I love this. I love this. He says, that's your reasonable service. Is that reasonable? God gave his life for you so you, ex- you ought to give your life. Is that reasonable? That sounds reasonable to me that, that God secured our way out of the the justice and wrath that we deserve through our own sins, that God secured that by giving his son for our sins and securing for us a home in the glory of God, forever basking in the glory and the light of God. And if God did that for me, what is it that I ought to be willing to do for him? Well, have your conversation be worthy or become the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I know a lot, I know a lot of folks. Y'all know a lot of folks. We have folks around us all the time. And you know some folks, I guarantee you this morning, you know some folks that their life, that the way that they live their life, the things that they say always looks like they just got bad news. Listen, I've sat in a lot of old Baptist churches and looked at a lot of old faces and talked to a lot of folks. And 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 let me tell you, a lot of folks, it's just like they always got bad news. We'll sit around the lunch table at lunch and, and the bad news, who won or lost, you know, who lost the football game last night or, or who lost the election this week or the sickness and the sadness and, and all of the bad things. Listen, I, I want you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what the preacher wants. He wants you to live a life. Remember, it's the life that your conversation becomes that it is worthy of the gospel, the good news of Christ, not just Christ himself, but the good news that your conversation be full of joy, that it be full of the peace and the comfort and knowing what Christ did, the good news that comes from it. Let me tell you, some see the gospel as bad news. I'm here to tell you, if the gospel was being presented as bad news this morning, the wrong. Right. It just doesn't make any sense. Amen. It is the good news. And your life ought to be worthy of that. Paul would tell the church at Colossae that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you've got good news, that ought to make you joyful. And if you're joyful, it ought to give you, it ought to motivate you to put forth the fruit that comes from the spiritual tree. I love, I love the idea of the fruit of the spirit because I had this old, we had this old pear tree in our front yard. Grew up on 24 acres and we had this old pear tree in the front yard. And, and I don't know how that pear tree got there, but it was there. And, and, and most, most springs and summers, we'd look at that tree and it would start bearing fruit. And, that, and I expected that tree to bear pear. I love pear preserves. Gosh, I love pear preserves. And every, every spring, that, that, here, here would come that tree and it, and it, would, uh, it would bear pears. Never once did I look at that tree and apples came from that tree. Never once did I look at that tree and expect peaches. Not from Georgia. Peaches. Everything is peach tree in Atlanta. Not once did I expect cherries or, or walnuts or pecans to, to, call, to come from that tree. What I expect to come from the pear tree are pears. What I expect to come from the spiritual tree are the spiritual 
fruit. Those things listed out in Galatians chapter 5. Peace, faith, long meekness, temperance, patience. Those kind of things that come only from the Spirit in the real sense that they are what they are and not some perception that they are these things. Because the world's good at those things. The world will tell you, hey, I, 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 can, I can give you some peace. I can give you some, I can give you some faith. I can give you some temperance. I can give you some, oh, some of these. I mean the real things that are these things are the fruit of the Spirit. And that ought to be what comes out as a part of this conversation, he says. He says that when, you ought to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's not just what you do. If what you do is bringing you joy, if what you do is bringing you some motivation to walk in this life because you've received good news, then you ought to want to grow in the knowledge of that thing. And that thing, in this case, happens to be Jesus Christ, the word by which the worlds were framed. That our lives ought to represent that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and his glory. And that's, that, that's, that connects us back to this idea of our conversation that, that we live in the kingdom of this world. That's a reality, right? You live in the kingdoms of this world. There are leaders, there, there, there are principalities and powers, and there, there are power structures and organization structures that have reign in this world to a, 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 to a limited extent. We, we live, we have our citizenship in this place. You are an American. You live in Mississippi. I live in Georgia. We live in our place. And, that, and that's where we live, right? But we ought to be walking in such a way that we're not just walking in this world, but we're walking in the kingdom that has that where our citizenship has been reserved for us, not just in this life, but in the life to come. That we ought to represent that kingdom and that place that we are from. This good news that comes that we ought to let our conversation become or be worthy of is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, and he says, I want you to do this. I want you to do this, listen to what he says, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Now, the church at Rome was an, was an interesting church. You know, it's a church full of Gentiles. Certainly there were some, some Jews there, but it was primarily a church of the Gentiles. And listen to what Paul says about them. He says, by whom, verse 5, Romans chapter 1, by whom we, all, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience... Uh, to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace uh, from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all, for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Wow. You think about it. This is the Roman, the great Roman Empire. I love, I want to go to Rome one day. I want to see the Colosseum. My favorite movie is The Gladiator, you know? I love the Roman, I love Roman architecture. And, and I was speaking to the class, and I said, you know, Herod the Great, he built the temple, he built all this Roman architecture, and it's just, it's, it's just incredible to me that they were, y'all know they had, they had a, a recipe for concrete that, that has not been duplicated even to this day, and that's why lots of, they have concrete that is still hardening. It is getting harder today. That's incredible to me. We, we can't, all of our modern technology, we can't replicate that today. 
They did some wonderful... Here is the great Roman Empire. And he's writing to this church. He has not been there. He's not been there because the Spirit has prevented. But the Word has been there. And the Spirit has been there. And he's writing to them. And he says, you are living in the greatest city in the world. You are living in the center of the known world. And your faith, in, in spite of all odds, your faith has been heard of throughout the whole world. Now, every person in the world hadn't heard of the faith of the Roman church. But the word had spread that they were such faithful Christians in the midst of the center of the known world in Rome. All roads lead to Rome. All roads lead from Rome. And there they were, the small band of people that believed on Jesus Christ so strongly that word had gotten out and saying, hey, have you heard about that church in Rome? Man, they're doing incredible such faithful people over there. You ever heard that of another church? Such faithful people over there. In the midst of all the politics and all the paganism of Rome, there they are standing firm and standing fast to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul hadn't been there yet, yet he had heard that. He's writing, the letter, he's writing this letter on before or after to the church at Philippi. And he says, if I'm not there, I want to hear of your affairs, and I want to hear that what you're doing is worthy of, or becometh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want them to just do it in front of the preacher. I like, I like to play golf, and, and it's interesting. We get paired up. You, you get paired up on the golf course, and you have a tee time. It was me and, and my buddy backed out, so I got paired up with these two other guys. And, and the, you know, the conversation is always, hey, what do you do? You know, it's generally about the second or third hole. What do you do? Well, I'm a preacher, and it's amazing how their language will change <laughs> on the golf course. It's amazing. And I'll hear them start words and cut them off because they don't want the preacher to, you know, you know, you know, God's going to strike the lightning on the golf club. Is it? They don't know. <laughs> they don't know. But things change once they, once they. And Paul says, I don't want that to just be the case. I don't want you just to show up and be lively on a Sunday morning because that's what you're supposed to do. Because I'm the one standing here. We have church going on at Bethany Church outside of Atlanta where I pastor right now. And I, I hope you'll pray for them that things go. We have some of our men speaking. We like to do that from time to time. Some of, And they're, they're preaching. And I always, I always have this concern that if they know I'm not coming, are they going to come to church? Are they actually going to show up? Not because they presented that they would or would not. But there's always that idea because I know, I know. Listen, I kind of I, I knock on somebody's door and I'll see them in the window and they're putting stuff away, you know. Because preachers, there's people coming to your house, preach. You got you got to, you know, meetings. You know, you got to you got to organize a little bit, make sure there's nothing out that the preacher may see. You know, that's it's always a fear. Paul says, forget about me. It's not about whether I'm there. It's not about whether I'm not there. It's not about who I am. It's about who Jesus is. And if your life, if you're committed to Jesus Christ as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you believe that he raises the dead, you believe he is the life giver, that he is the word by which worlds were framed, that ought to have such an impact on your life that it doesn't matter who is around you, even if it's the preacher that you live your life as becometh the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the preacher wants. The preacher wants you to have someone show up in the building and, and not necessarily because you invited them, although you ought to invite people to church, but because you were living your life in such a way that somebody said, tell me about yourself, and you go, man, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. 
and what he's done for me. That's why I live the life this way. And they go, you know, I think I'd like to see what that looks like. I've seen what it looks like at my church, and it doesn't look like this. Let me tell you, if anybody ought to live lives full of grace and mercy, it ought to be old Baptists that understand what grace is, that understand what the love of God is. It's not transactional. It's not something that you're always having to invest in. It's something that was done for you unconditionally. Greater love than no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. That's, what, that's the kind of love that I want. I want someone that will love me despite all my flaws and my scars and my failings and all the weird things that I say and all of my own personal traits that that turn people off to me. I don't want that. I want to turn them on to Jesus Christ. How do I do that? It's best if I just live a life that is representative of that, that becomes, that is worthy of that life and that death and that resurrection that Jesus Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago. That's what I want to do. And you do that. The preacher wants you to do that. And people to see that and come through that door and hear about that grace for themselves. Now, invite people. You ought to do that. You ought to get together every opportunity that you get. You ought to take the time to live lives like they did in the first century church. Every day they were together, house to house, breaking bread, doing things that said, we're a part of this thing together. Because listen to what he said. He says, whether I Come and see you or else be absent. I may hear of your affairs. That, what are the affairs that he wants to hear? That you stand fast in one spirit. That you have one spirit by which you operate. That it's not a bunch of spirits that have come together and you found some way in order to be able to get along. That you have one thing that circulates amongst you all. That it's one spirit that you act like one body. Y'all, there's nothing more dangerous to the church than a bunch of people that want to do a bunch of different things. Now, you are. It's impossible. As long as we're coming to church, as long as we have church and are the church, guess what? We're going to be churches that have a lot of different hopes and dreams and aspirations and visions about what we think is best. Y'all, you ever tried to change any color of anything in a church? <laughs> you know, we've got, some, we've got some, some younger mothers in the church and and, you know, they're, they're fashionistas, you know, their houses are all beautiful and all modern. And I don't know about y'all, but in Atlanta, every house that is being built seems to be white with black trim with a little bit of wood around the front. Craftsmen, it's just, it's like, you know, in 10 years, we're going to look around and go, what did we do? <laughs> Nevertheless, that's the way. Every, and, and so we've got, you know, they're all decorators by heart. And, and, some, and, and there's some artificial greenery throughout the course of our building, you know, and and, and some of them said, That's too, there's too much green. We're going to put some of them in the closets. Of course, there were other folks that, that think you ought to be walking through a jungle through the church, and, <laughs> and that's okay, too. And, and they come through. And I ha- I, listen, I had an older woman tell me, and it has nothing to do with being older except for the fact that, you know, that people like diff- different generations. Like She said, my mom told me the most important thing in the church were flowers. Right. <sighs> <sighs> Oh, sister, <laughs> sit down here with me. Let's have a conversation. You don't really mean that. Well, I know, Brother Silas, but I just like to see him. Some, some, listen, and that, it breeds contempt, doesn't it? We don't want any part of that. You shouldn't want any part of that. We say, well, but I really like this thing, and I think it ought to be. Well, so does someone else, and their value is just as much as yours. So how do we learn? Grace is how you learn. Love is how you learn. 
That it's not about me. It's not about having someone else mediate a situation. It's about understanding there are things that are important in this life. And is this thing, is this thing important enough for me to divide or to create friction in the spirit of this church? And the answer in most cases is no. Give me total depravity. Give me unconditional election. Give me limited atonement. Give me irresistible grace. Give me the preservation of the saints. Give me some acapella singing. Give me a preacher, a pastor doing the teaching and uh, and prayer and fellowship taking place in the church. And y'all, we meet in a sweet potato field like I did in Africa this summer. Right. Remember what's important. This is whether I'm here, whether I'm there. I want to hear of your fears. I want to hear that you stand fast in one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to turn with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. He says, for by one spirit, by one spirit. Well, let's take it back up. Verse 12, for as the body is one, have many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also in Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, they certainly had their differences, didn't they? Whether we be Jews or whether we be Gentiles, whether we be bond or whether we be free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. And that's a part of the membership. That's a part of giving yourself to the church through the waters of baptism, isn't it? Is that I am committing to this body that already exists to just be one member and not, and not the head of the church. There's already a head of the church. He ain't Brother David. He ain't Brother Silas. It's Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. It ain't going to be any of us. But I'm going to be a part of that body that is significant. And I'm, if I need, listen, if you need to be the big toe, you be the big toe. Okay? Big toe's a funny body part. I don't know. It's funnier than pinky, I guess. But that's do what, but understand, you are a part of a larger organization and a larger structure. And your responsibility to do is, is to do your part in that body. To be a part of the one spirit means you have to be a part of that. You need to be an active part. You don't think a big toe is important? Try losing it one day. Affect your balance. It'll do all kinds of weird things. He wants them to stand fast in one spirit. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, if you will. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. Begin in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering from bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring following, to chase after peace. To chase after peace. Let me tell you what your preacher wants. Your preacher wants peace in the church. Because when there is peace, the focus can be in the appropriate place. Y'all, my, my son ate a cookie in my bed the other day. <laughs> I don't like it when my son eats cookies in my bed because that puts crumbs in my sheets. And I can't even stand a wrinkle in the sheet underneath my body when I... It's just... I'm a little OCD about a few things. That's one of them. And I can feel it. doesn't matter how small that thing is, that focus is all on that little crumb until it gets removed, isn't it? Don't be the crumb in the bed sheets. Don't do it. Because that's where the focus goes and there's no rest until it gets eliminated, until it goes away. Don't be the one that causes that. He says we ought to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. And that means you need to wipe the crumbs away continually. 
Wipe the crumbs away. There's one body, one spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Spirit ought to be maintained. It's not to be created. You can't create the spirit. We try to do that. We try to do that. I had preached one time a, uh, a message on um, the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, te- okay, teach us to pray. Later on that evening, um, I, I went with our, our little Christian high school to our high school retreat, and they brought this, this speaker in, and, and, and he goes through the session, and he says, I'm going to teach you to pray. I thought, good, man. I'm, you know, I get to hear this. And, I just, and, he, and he goes some other route, and it was this creating of this, of this, this very esoteric kind of creating of, of this environment. And y'all know how that happens. You see it in movies. You ever watch, you ever watch, go online and watch and try to watch scenes from movies without scores, without the background music. It's a completely different experience. They can set, they can set how you feel just by the tones and the rhythms that play in the background. It's absolutely amazing. It's music is absolutely incredible. Created by God and just like anything else taken advantage of by man. Yeah, but they can do and this guy there's there's this specific music the lights are down low there's this video of this natural woodland you know with the wind blowing and the leaves rustling and he's he's pacing back and forth and he's saying these words and he tells them to sit there and put his hands on the knees and and I went back to our director I said this guy can't come back because <laughs> he said he was going to teach him how to pray and there's a literally a bible verse that I preached on this morning that said Lord, teach us to pray. Here's what Jesus did. You want to learn how to pray? Do what Jesus did. And, and, and so we, we, do, we create these environments. Where we try to craft. You cannot make the Spirit happen of your own things that you do. We're not there to create the Spirit. We are there to maintain the Spirit. The Spirit has been given to all of God's people and is what binds us together. So he says, you have one of those. What I want to see is that the church operating and living their lives as it becometh the gospel and, and doing so in one fashion. That you ought to, you ought to believe what, in, in, in some rough appearance, you ought to believe that that looks a certain way. That certain way, by the way, ought to be the way Jesus Christ looks. That it becomes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and not the gospel of men. It says, stand fast here, stand fast in one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to, to walk in one kingdom as a representative from another kingdom. People can tell Americans from miles away. You're louder, you know, you have bigger, you're, 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 you have bigger portions on your plate, you know, you have ice in your drinks. People can tell Americans from a mile away. Can they tell you as a Christian from a mile away? Do you look the part, and not what the world, and not even what modern Christianity thinks is the part, but what the Bible says, do you look the part? Are you chasing peace? Are, are you standing fast for those things that God says you have no compromise in? This is uncompromised. Listen, flowers or not, I could care less. Be happy, you know, get along, you know, burn them all for all I care, or, or create a rainforest here for all I care. I, get along, chase peace, 
Look for peace. Maintain that unity of the Spirit. But there's going to come a time where you have to stand fast for something that God has said to stand fast for. And I'm here to tell you that the sovereignty of God and salvation is something to stand fast for and that we ought not accept any other versions of that. That God saved a people from their sins. The job is done. Our job is just to live lives that are worthy of that good news. Okay? So stand fast in that. Paul says that it just doesn't just want them to stand fast in one spirit. He says he wants them to have one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. One mind striving together. Striving together. Um, that's, that's where the idea of fellowship comes along. We want to strive together. You ever been in a rowboat with somebody? You ever had two people rowing a rowboat together? That becomes mighty difficult when you're rowing in opposite directions. Almost impossible. Almost impossible. I had the opportunity to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, float down two different trips down the Suwannee River, Old Man Suwannee, down in Florida, uh, from the Georgia line all the way to the Gulf Coast over the course of about two years. And, and the first year we did that in a canoe, me and Bucky Kinsaw in a canoe. He's in the back. And, and, and it took us about a day of figuring out what we were going to do to, to make sure that we were paddling this canoe together and going in the same direction. That doesn't just happen, does it? I need to learn how you operate and what you do. I need to, I need to, I, we need to be fellows on the same ship together. We need to be going the same direction, have the same heading, have the same speed in order for us to get there as safely as possible. And so when he says you ought to be striving together, you ought to be paddling together, for what? For the faith of the gospel or for the faith of the good news. And that's what this is. That's what this weekend has been about. It's saying, you know what? There's a football game. It's Georgia-Mississippi State. You know, but, but we're, you know, of course it was last night and church was tomorrow, so maybe that's not a, maybe that's not a, but if the church, let's just assume that there was a game yesterday at 11 o'clock, because that's when Central Time games start. And then it was the old JP Sports game. And at 11 o'clock, there was Mississippi State against Georgia, and, and you had church. you got a choice to make. you got a choice to make. Do I go row the boat with my church folks, or do I go row the boat with my Mississippi State folks or my Alabama folks? Or my, I had two red and blue ties that I wore. I don't know I'm wearing Ole Miss colors. Alabama beat Ole Miss yesterday, and I just want to let you know that. <laughs> Nevertheless, people row in the same direction. That's the goal. Paul says, only this. This is what I want to see, whether I'm there and I see it in person. Or whether I'm not there, I want to hear about it. That you guys are getting along. That you're doing what you ought to be doing. That you're having fellowship one with another. That you're paddling after Jesus Christ. And you're doing it together. One mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He uses that term in, in Romans. He uses that term here. He uses that term in 2 Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to what Peter has to say. I always like to say here what Peter has to say because he says a lot. Finally, be all of one mind. Be all of one mind. How, are we gonna, how do we do that? How do we be of one mind? How do we go one direction? Listen to what he says. How do you do this? Having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be curious. Sometimes you're not going to get your way. 
You ever not got your way? My son thinks he, my son never gets his way, right? And dad always, you know, don't be careful of those, those absolute terms. Never, always, you always. You're not going to get your way all the time. And that needs to be okay with you. Can that be okay with y'all? That it didn't go quite the way that you wanted and it went, and, and, and listen, it's not just okay, you ought to be joyful that I went someone else's way. Listen to what, listen to what God says in the Old Testament, and it's my favorite. You know, the context, the context is God in this hypothetical language saying, you know, shall we give you 10,000 rivers of, you know, rivers of oil or 10,000 sheep or all the cattle of the fields? Shall we do these things? And God says, God has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee. To do justly, be fair. Can you be fair? Can y'all be fair to do, to do justly? The idea comes from, from weights and measures. The things, do justly. Can you be just to love mercy? I just, I love the idea that it's, not love justice and do mercy. It's do justly and love mercy. It ought to bring you joy and you ought to love to be merciful to someone else. To not give them their just due. And that's a great weight counterweight against justice, isn't it? Because listen, if I tell you you want justice, y'all going to say, absolutely, we want justice. You do wrong. There is a result. There is a cause. There is an effect. But I ask a bunch of Christians, hey, do you love to be merciful? And they go, I don't know. You know, you reap what you sow. Throw them all in jail, right? <laughs> y'all still have a death penalty in Mississippi? I bet y'all, you know, you know, you're generally conservative people, whether you're not politically, I don't know. But listen, an eye for an eye, right? We got to love the opportunity to say, you know what, you did wrong. And, and it was wrong. Let me say it. No one was better at mercy than Jesus Christ. Young woman was brought out. Woman was brought out. Guilty. Caught in the act of adultery. No question about it. They're getting ready to stone here. And here comes Jesus. <laughs> here comes Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. They're about to catch him. They're going to try to catch him. They always try to catch him. He always escapes, right? Because it's just wisdom. What do you think we ought to do? The law says we ought to stone her. Jesus says, let thee without, without the first sin cast, cast the stone. Or let thee without sin cast the first stone. And they all walk away. Jesus didn't say, well, woman, you're good. He says, go forth and sin no more. Stop the behavior. That's okay. That's okay. But she did not get her legal punishment, which could have rightly been done right there Jesus Christ shows mercy. You want to you become the gospel of Jesus Christ, my friends? The gospel of Jesus Christ is full of mercy and grace. All of the wrath, all of the justice isn't delivered to man that are children of God. It's delivered to Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. And because of that, we receive the mercy of God. We receive the grace of God. He says, I want you to, whether I hear of your fears, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now listen to this, because the world, the world. let me tell you, um, in, in a state where I've got a runoff election here on December the 6th, it's fear after fear after fear after fear, isn't it? That's why I hate election time. I, I, I just don't like it. I will vote, but I just don't like election time because I'm tired of all the, y'all tired of the fear mongering? 
are y'all with me or do you, do you get a kick out of it? I used to get a kick out of it. I don't anymore because the Bible says, and nothing be terrified by your adversaries. You have no reason to be fearful of the things of this world because Jesus Christ has destroyed sin and death and the greatest fear that you could have in this world. The justice of God in a hell, death in this life, none of it matters because Jesus Christ came out of the tomb three days after he died. He says... Paul says, I want, to, I want you to do these things. I want you to walk this way, only this way. That becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether I'm here, whether I'm there, I want you to stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Turn with me back to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8. You have adversaries, by the way. You have adversaries. God's people have always had enemies, right? Even in America, where we're free to gospel, you, we're free to get gather together under the gospel, you have enemies. You had adversaries. But there's one in particular that the Bible speaks very clearly of. Verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may... Exalt you in due time, casting all you care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, who is your adversary? The devil, Satan himself. And he's out there. He's as a roaring lion, walking about, uh, walketh about, and he's seeking whom he may devour. That sounds scary, doesn't it? That sounds scary. You know, it was showing them some pictures from our trip to Africa uh, over the course of the summer, and, and you can ride down this road in Nairobi, and over here is, is, is an urban city the size of Atlanta that is all urban Nairobi on this side of the highway. And you turn your head, and on this side of the highway is literally the Nairobi National Park. And, 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 and we can look out there, we look over here, and we see billboards and lights and big buildings and urban blight, and over here there's a giraffe. <laughs> and lions and all of the things you know giraffes you know I'm, I'm sure they can be dangerous but there's lions out there too I don't want to be out there it's dangerous out there I can just imagine being in that place and there's lions you know sinking down into the savanna grass just waiting on that right moment to pounce and that's what Satan is doing and that is your adversary he is out there and he's waiting on the right moment to pounce Paul says you don't have to be scared of Satan. You don't have to be scared of Satan, your adversary. God's got that taken care. He can only go so far as God will suffer him to go, like the junkyard dog on the chain. Within that chain, you'll see, you'll see, you'll see death. You'll, you know, you ever seen a dog on a chain? All the area where that chain will go is just dirt. There's no grass. There's no beauty. There's no life. It's all dead. And he can get to the end of that chain, but that's as far as he can go. Let me tell you, you've been protected by God. You will continue to be protected by God. The one that you have the fear and reverential awe is God and not your adversary, Satan. Mm -hmm. But he's got his little minions, and, and there's, there's some scary... Y'all, I ran into some scary dudes in this life. There's some scary people in this life, and I don't want to have anything to do with them. And sometimes a little, I, was, I was robbed one time. Me and father were robbed while doing some yard work one time in a this, in this certain neighborhood. And, and, and I couldn't drive through neighborhoods like that for a long time because I had this fear within me that it was going to happen again. Subconscious, I, just, I couldn't do it. I would have panic attacks. 
Lord, resolve that for me. But we live lives like that sometimes, right? The world got to me. Cancer got to me. Sickness got to me. Death got to me. I lost a job and it got to me. And I'm scared to go through those things again. The church got to me. And y'all know some of those, don't you? They're in your families. They're your sons or your daughters. They're your aunts or your uncles or your friends. The church got to them. Satan got to them through the church that hurt them deeply and they don't want any part of it anymore. You can tell them they have no need for fear. They have no need for fear. Why do they have no need for fear? Because God is there with them. So if you ever wonder what your preacher wants, I hope that I'm confident, I'm confident, what your preacher wants is you just to live lives as Paul wanted the church at Philippi to live lives. That your life, that what you do, what you say becomes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it's so special to you, that it's so impactful to you. That grace and love and mercy and the justice delivered to Jesus Christ on your behalf, it means so much to you that you live a life that is representative of good news and not a life that is representative of bad news. And that you do this together as a body of Christ, striving together, rowing the boat together, not fearing what's out there, but loving what is in here. That's what your preacher wants. So they want to make him, I think, you know, last month, October, there was preacher appreciation. Y'all, y'all celebrate Pastor Appreciation Day here. Y'all too. I didn't get that. Could you try again? <laughs> Listen, that's what the church says when I say that. <laughs> Appreciate your pastor. You want to know what the preacher wants? The real preacher. It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul wanted. Let's row this boat together. Whether I see, whether I ever see y'all again or not. Maybe I will. I just asked Brother David if he would to come join us in March. I hope he'll pray about it and come be with us at Bethany in Atlanta. Outside of Atlanta. I keep saying that. Outside of Atlanta. And, it's, and I may never see, I hope y'all come with him. But if I never, if I never see you again, I hope that you'll row the boat together with this pastor that he'll be able to look at your lives and visit your homes and you're not busy shoving things in the closet because you don't want the preacher to see it, but that your life is, is, is worthy and it becomes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless us our prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.